Hello everyone and welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and I hope you're all doing very well. I would like to first apologise for my croaky voice. I am very sick at the moment but that is neither here nor there. This week I have something very exciting for you. As I've said before the show is taking part in the Scottish collaboration which is a bunch of amazing Scottish content creators coming together to promote one another and hopefully help you find some new Scottish podcasts and small businesses to fall in love with. I'm Dawn and I'm Cole and Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world these murders can be truly horrific and shocking and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts as well as on social media. Join us there. Bye. Trigger warning. This episode discusses domestic abuse and themes targeting children, so listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome, wee ones, to Scottish Murders. Dawn will shortly be taking you through a solved or unsolved murder involving people from or living in Scotland. So get ready to hear about the darker side of Bonnie Scotland. Before I begin, a lot of the information in this episode I got from the Storyteller Violent Delights podcast by Isla Traquair. This podcast is full of information about the case, from interviews, court records and many other avenues, a lot of which I wasn't able to say in this episode. So if you'd like to know even more in-depth information about this case and the main people involved, then I'd highly recommend giving the Storyteller Violent Delights podcast a listen. Wendy Garvey was born in 1956. She was the first daughter of Maxwell and Sheila Garvey. From around four years old, Wendy was made to feel like a huge disappointment. By 13, she was living in foster care. At 16, she was married to a 21-year-old and gave birth to a daughter when she was 18. Three short years later, at the age of 21, Wendy was divorced and had left her daughter with her ex-husband. Wendy then began drinking alcohol to excess. For many long years, Wendy's life continued to spiral out of control. What could have taken place in Wendy's young life to have caused such long-lasting and obvious trauma? Wendy's parents, Maxwell and Sheila Garvey, had met at a dance in January 1952 and had quickly fallen in love, eventually marrying on the 21st of June 1955 in a lavish ceremony when Max was 22 and Sheila was 20. The couple then moved into a lavish five-bedroom farmhouse called West Cairnbeg, which Max Garvey had just inherited after it had been in his family for many years. West Cairnbeg is located less than a mile or 1.5 kilometres outside of the town of Lawrencekirk, Kincardenshire. And Lawrencekirk, which is known as the Lang Toon, or simply the Kirk to locals, is situated on the east coast of Scotland, approximately 30 miles or 48 kilometres south of Aberdeen. Max's family were well known in the area, owning vast amounts of land around Lawrencekirk, and the Garvey family were extremely well off. 
while Max was known as a farmer, you'd be mistaken if you thought he was the conventional kind where he worked the farmland, traipsing around in his Wellington boots. No, Max had staff and a grieve for that. And his grieve, who was also a special constable, oversaw the running of West Cairnbeg Farm on a day-to-day basis. But Max still did take an interest in how the farm was being run and had a keen interest in agriculture. By the time Max met Sheila in 1952, he already had a reputation as being an extravagant man, a ladies' man, having loved and left many girls. He was seen as a handsome, eligible bachelor. He just hadn't found the right girl. Then in walked Sheila Watson. Sheila was the daughter of a stonemason who worked at Balmoral Castle, the Queen's estate, and who was known as a sombre man, of having a short temper and of being very frugal. Sheila's mother, Edith Watson, was, according to the book A Killing at Kinky Cottage by Steve McGregor, described as being upright, forthright, and of having inflexible views. Sheila had quite a strict upbringing under the watchful eyes of her parents and had feelings of being quite stifled, a feeling which only increased when, as a teenager, Sheila began working at Balmoral Castle as a housemaid. Although when Sheila was about 18, she finally would get a bit of freedom, as she and her family made the decision to leave their jobs at Balmoral Castle and move to the town of Stonehaven, which was about an hour's drive away from Balmoral Castle. Sheila was so pleased to finally be able to make some friends her own age, to go to dances and just basically have a bit of fun in her young life. However, she was still very much under the watchful eye of her parents, so when she met and was swept off her feet by the wealthy and showy Maxwell Garvey, Sheila could finally see a way out. Max and Sheila Garvey were seen as the perfect couple. Max being rich, tall, dark, well-dressed and handsome, and Sheila being a slim, beautiful blonde. And so it was no surprise when the pair married. Sheila had craved the high life that Max could offer, And so it wouldn't be long before the couple were enjoying eating in the best restaurants, attending nightclubs, splashing out on the latest fashions, hosting lavish parties at West Cairnbeg, holidaying abroad and indulging in Max's passion for fast cars. The couple then had their second daughter, Angela, in 1957, when Wendy was a year old. And from the outside, they really did appear to be the perfect couple living the perfect life. However, things are not always as they seem. While Sheila and Max initially were very happy together, by the early 1960s, life in the Garvey household was anything but bliss, the main problem appearing to be Max Garvey. From a young age, Max knew he could have anything he wanted, he could have it all, and sadly this fact appeared to have made him very restless, getting bored very easily with things, and he was always on the lookout for the next big thing to give him a rush. Sadly, this didn't just include material things, like always having a new car, a better car, a faster car. This also included his family. Max began to pick on Sheila, criticising what she would wear, how she looked, how she behaved, how she parented their children, and he even began to criticise her in the bedroom. From Sheila's perspective, she could do nothing right. Max had grown bored of Sheila and their sex life. She wasn't shiny and new anymore, and he wanted to try different things. And so he began to look for ways that being with Sheila could be more interesting again, continuing to constantly criticise Sheila before turning more and more to alcohol until he found something or someone that would satisfy him. By this time, the swinging 60s were taking London by storm. Not so much, however, in the small villages of East Scotland, much to Max's dismay. And so he set about bringing a bit of London to the village of Lawrence Kirk. 
firstly in the form of erotic photographs. Sheila, of course, was expected to be involved in this, and while she had no interest in being photographed erotically, she went along with it, as she always did, to try to please her husband and stop his constant criticism of her. Max also decided to involve his close friends in this venture, and he even started distributing the erotic photographs featuring Sheila around his friends. Until that is, he was told bluntly by the police that this was not acceptable and that he should stop it immediately or risk being prosecuted. Never one to be deterred though, Max then bought a cottage about 20 miles or 32 kilometres away from West Cairnberg farmhouse and began planting trees on part of the surrounding land. Of course, none of the locals saw this as odd as maybe he was doing this to protect his farmland or animals from exposure to the cold winds. Although it did seem ever so slightly strange that the trees appeared to have been planted to enclose a small triangular piece of land. It would appear that Max's intentions for the cottage and the triangle of trees was to start his very own nudist colony. Now, while Sheila and Max were blessed with two healthy daughters, Wendy and Angela, Max's need for perfection and having the perfect family was marred by his perception that his daughter, Wendy, was overweight. And sadly, he was not shy about letting Wendy know on a regular basis just how much of a disappointment she was to him. With Wendy saying in an article in the Scotsman newspaper on the 1st of February 2002 that she had been left traumatised by her father's disappointment in her for being overweight, remembering the jibes as far back as when she was four or five years old. So with Wendy's dad's constant criticism about her weight ringing in her ears as a child, to then be told that she was to partake in his nudist colony was very distressing for Wendy. Because yes, of course, Max expected his wife and children to be involved in his nudist camp. Wendy recalled in an article in the Scotsman newspaper, I was forced to strip off. Being fat, I was terribly embarrassed. There were old men sitting watching. I remember undressing in the freezing cold. Sheila and the girls had also been made to attend nudist colonies by Max previously while they holidayed in Corsica. There are a couple of differing stories about Sheila's participation in the nudist colonies at Lawrencekirk. One version says that Sheila was initially strongly against stripping off for the nudist colony in a triangle of trees on the rather cold and windy east coast of Scotland, where it would also be desperately embarrassing for both Sheila and the girls to be naked in front of people that they knew. However, as before, Sheila was eventually worn down by Max's berating and criticism that Sheila was frigid and boring for not taking part. However, another version reports that while Sheila did attend the very first welcome meeting of the nudist colony, she refused to remove her clothing and did not return again. However, if Wendy had memories of having to strip naked in the cold of Scotland, then did that mean that her mother, Sheila, was not present? Or was she there too, but just didn't want to remember being forced to strip naked? Wendy would have been as old as eight or nine before Max moved on to other more extreme adventures. Max wasn't satisfied with just the nudist colony for long, and according to the Kinky Cottage book by Steve McGregor, it wasn't long before the nudist colony gatherings had escalated into drink-fueled orgies and wife-swapping. Again, whether Sheila was involved in this or not, is not clear. What is clear though is that Sheila was becoming very depressed and told friends that Max had become physically violent towards her, at one point threatening to shoot her. Sheila felt that no matter what she did to try and please Max sexually, 
It just wasn't ever enough, and his requests were becoming more and more demanding. According to the Kinky Cottage book, by this point, Max was drinking very heavily. Now four or five bottles of whiskey a week was exceeding the daily allowance of caffeine-based stimulants, as well as taking a chronic insomnia drug or bituate, something which is advised not to be taken for more than two weeks or with alcohol, both of which Max was doing. Max's behaviour continued to escalate and be erratic until 1964, when Sheila gave birth to the couple's only son, Lloyd. At this point, Max began to reduce his drug and alcohol intake, and life became more tolerable for the Garvey family. Well, for most of them, as Max still continued to torment Wendy constantly about her weight. During this time of stability, Max gained his pilot's license and bought himself a small aircraft and started a flying club, which was located about a seven-minute drive away from West Cairnbeg. While this new adventure appeared to satisfy Max for a while, it wouldn't be long before Max became restless and began drinking again. He would often take his small aircraft out after drinking heavily and was known to fly erratically and very low over Lawrencekirk, being dubbed by locals as the Flying Farmer. Max was approached by the police on several occasions after scaring drivers as he flew so close to them while they drove along below. But Max was a charismatic and likeable man and appeared able to talk his way out of situations. Sheila would also be encouraged to go flying with Max, which made her very anxious due to his erratic behaviour and drinking. But again, she obliged anything to make Max happy. But it just never did. However, soon Max would meet someone who would make him happy, very happy, for a while at least, but which would ultimately lead to his downfall. The Garvey children, Wendy, Angela and Lloyd, did their best to live a normal life and do normal things while they were not at the farmhouse. Because when they were at home, there was always the threat of more nudist colony exploits, of Max and Sheila arguing, and latterly of Sheila becoming distant and cold towards the children. And of course, Wendy being regularly tormented by her father about her being overweight, which had never stopped. So much so that when Wendy was 11 years old, Max produced slimming tablets for Wendy and instructed her to start taking them, which she did. However, much to Wendy and Max's dismay, even this didn't help Wendy lose weight, and the constant criticism by Max continued. A constant reminder for Wendy of just how much of a disappointment she continued to be to her father. However, Wendy then began to notice a difference in her father. He seemed happier, the criticism from him seemed to lessen, and she noticed that her mother and father didn't seem to be arguing as much. Wendy realised that this change seemed to have happened around the time 21-year-old Brian Tevendale came on the scene and began spending more and more time at the farmhouse. Whatever the reason, Wendy was just pleased that her mother and father had stopped arguing as much and that her father didn't bring up her weight as often. Then one evening, in late April 1968, Wendy, who was now 12 years old, walked into the living room at the farmhouse and was shocked to find her mother kissing Brian Tevendale. Wendy wasn't the only one shocked, with Wendy saying in an article that her mother begged her not to say anything, which Wendy promised that she wouldn't, as she didn't want to upset her mother. However, Wendy's decision to stay silent stayed with her throughout her life, it caused Wendy no end of trauma and guilt and led to her spending her life asking the question, what if? So, 
While 12-year-old Wendy was thinking that things had settled down at home and that her mother and father appeared to be happier since the arrival of Brian Tevendale, she could have had no idea just what had been going on while she lay sleeping at night. In 1967, three years after Max and Sheila's son Lloyd was born, when Max was 33 years old, Max met 21-year-old bartender and mechanic Brian Tevendale. Brian was a slim, good-looking, shy man who enjoyed drinking. However, Brian did not come from a wealthy family and so could not afford to indulge as much as he would have liked. And so when Brian began to receive the attention of the extravagant Max Garvey, who clearly had a sexual interest in him, Brian was more than happy to become friends, just without the benefits. Max and Brian began to spend more and more time together, drinking together, flying together, and Brian started to become a regular overnight visitor at West Cairnbeg Farmhouse after enjoying a drinking session with Max and Sheila. Max was clearly very taken with Brian and enjoyed his company, even if it had not turned sexual as Max had hoped. While Max was happy with his relationship with Brian, Max still was frustrated by his frigid and boring wife, Sheila. And so wanting to spice up their sex life, Max came up with the perfect idea to get Sheila interested in sex again. It was reported in the Daily Record newspaper on the 19th of October 2007 that one evening in late 1967, when Brian was staying at the farmhouse and had gone to bed in the spare room, he suddenly found his door thrown open and Max pushed a naked and shivering Sheila into the room with Brian before Max left them alone, locking the door behind him. Max had decided that in order to get frigid Sheila more interested in sex again, he would make her sleep with a younger lover. Sheila had been instructed by Max in no uncertain terms that she was to sleep with Brian that evening. Brian was 21 at this time and found Sheila to be extremely attractive, and so the pair spent the night together. Max was delighted, wanting to know every single intimate detail from Sheila afterwards. And this arrangement continued for a while before Max decided that he wanted in on the action too and suggested that the three of them should sleep together, which Brian agreed to but made it clear that he was not interested in having sex with Max, only Sheila, who Brian was fast becoming infatuated with. Max found this new setup exciting, especially as Sheila became more and more interested in having sex with Brian. Apparently, Max and Brian would occasionally toss a coin to decide which of them would have sex with Sheila first that evening. But often, if Max lost, he would just insist that they all slept together. This arrangement continued for a while, but as ever, it wasn't long before Max grew tired of even this setup. Although he was pleased to find that Sheila seemed happy to continue to sleep with Brian, which in his eyes meant that he was free to find himself another lover which he did, and who came in the form of Trudy Burse, who just so happened to be Brian's sister, and who was married to a local policeman, Alfred. Max and Sheila already knew Trudy, as her and her husband Alfred had frequently attended Max's nudist colony. So, Max and Trudy began an affair, which was made known to both Sheila and Trudy's husband Alfred, but neither appeared to be concerned by this. Max liked Trudy as she appeared to be as keen on varied sex as he was, with the pair frequently going flying in Max's small aircraft, with Max putting the autopilot on so the pair could satisfy their sexual appetites. 
It got to the stage that Max and Trudy would spend the evening having sex in Sheila and Brian's marital bed, while Brian and Sheila would spend the evening having sex in the spare room. Then, sometime during the night, Trudy would knock on the spare room's door, signalling that it was time for Sheila to go back to the marital bed to have sex with Max. One evening, even Trudy's husband Alfred got in on the action. Max, Sheila, Trudy, Brian, Alfred and a mystery female who had been invited to attend the gathering by Max had spent the evening at Westcairn Beg drinking in the living room. Brian and Sheila then drifted off to have sex, followed by Trudy and Max, until it was just Alfred and the mystery female left, and they too had sex. Everybody appeared to be having a great time, everyone that is, except Sheila. Sheila was very depressed. She was on sleeping tablets and was just worn down by Max and his physical, mental and sexual abuse. Although, for Sheila, there did appear to be a slight glimmer of hope, as she had began to develop strong feelings for Brian, had started to look forward to their time together alone, and may even have started to see a future away from Max. Knowing that she would need support if she were to even consider the possibility of leaving Max, she firstly turned to her mother, Edith, who was known to be forthright and have inflexible views. Despite Edith being aware of how Max was treating her daughter, as Max took great delight in telling her the intimate details, including how he and Brian tossed a coin to decide who would have sex with Sheila first, as predicted, Sheila would be deeply disappointed, as her mother would not support this decision. She should stay with her husband for the children. She needed to try and make it work. Divorce was not an option. Next, Sheila turned to her local priest for support and guidance, but again received the same outcome. She should stay with her husband for the children's sake. Divorce was not an option. It was also reported in the Press and Journal newspaper on the 30th of November 2011 that Sheila also sought help and support from her doctor. When Max had become so physically violent towards her, she had to wear a neck brace. However, again, Sheila was to be severely let down by her doctor, as her doctor had immediately telephoned Max and told him what Sheila had said and in essence, sent Sheila straight back to her increasingly intolerable life with Max. And then things became even worse. Max had grown tired of Brian and Trudy, and wanted new sexual partners to join him and Sheila in the bedroom. However, much to his shock and annoyance, he realised that Brian and Sheila had begun to have feelings for one another, and that the lovers had no intention of giving each other up. This enraged Max. While he was happy to force his wife to have sex with other people, he always wanted to be in control and was very domineering. And so to have his wife not immediately cut Brian off in favour of new sexual partners, as well as to have developed feelings for another man, did not go down well with Max. He became more physically and mentally abusive towards Sheila, trying to force her to bend to his will, as he had done time and time before. And so he was furious when Sheila took their three children and left him to be with Brian. However, Sheila knew she had no support from anyone. Other than her 22-year-old lover, she was completely alone. And so, when Max threatened to shoot all of them if Sheila did not return to him, scared and completely beaten down, Sheila returned to Max. Sheila did find some amazing courage to leave Max one more time to be with Brian, although this time she didn't take her children. While away from Max once again, she visited a solicitor to find out her rights. However, yet again, Sheila was severely let down. 
She was told that regardless of what Max had been doing or had been making Sheila do sexually, Sheila was still an adulteress and if she were to apply for a divorce, she would lose her home and children. Distraught and completely beaten, but knowing she would be unable to be without her children, Sheila returned to Max once again. Only this time, Sheila was desperate and out of options. The physical and sexual abuse from Max continued, and Sheila started taking a prescription drug to help with her increasing anxiety and depression, which made her appear to be detached and cold, which only angered Max further. Sheila did continue to see Brian, though, much to Max's annoyance. Sheila had begun to see Brian as her only escape from her terrible and traumatic reality. And one evening in late April 1968, when Brian and Sheila were alone together and she said to him that life would be so much better without Max in it, a seed was planted, which set about a motion that would destroy so many lives and lead to murder. Here's a promo. Hey, this is Ken M. Padawan J. Coach Duffy. From the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour podcast. Every week, the ODPH is talking sports, movies, TV, comics, and more. It's always a parlay of topics on each episode. You can find the ODPH on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and wherever you find great podcasts, such as the one you're listening to right now. Don't forget to check out OchoDuroParlayHour.com, where you can find the links to all of the ODPH social media accounts, links to the bands whose music you hear each week on the show, hashtag 607 podcast info and parlay points our companion block section of the show thanks for listening to the odph now get back to your regularly scheduled podcast and now on with the story on tuesday the 14th of may 1968 a few weeks after wendy had caught her mother and brian kissing in the living room a fact that 12 year old wendy had forgotten about by this point Wendy was again in the living room at West Cairn Beg, but this time she was watching television before heading to bed. Wendy, who was 12, and her younger sister Angela, who was 11, were allowed to stay up a bit later than their four-year-old brother Lloyd, but soon it would be Wendy and Angela's bedtime too. Wendy remembers that her father wasn't home at this time, with her mother telling her that he was at a meeting but would be home later. The main reason Wendy remembers this bedtime particularly is because her mother made her and her sister go to bed earlier than normal. And after her mother had kissed her and Angela goodnight, Sheila apparently said, according to an article in the Scotsman newspaper on the 1st of February 2002, no matter what, don't get up. Wendy thought this was strange, but she was tired and so thought nothing more about it and went to sleep and had no reason to get up until her mother woke her in the morning for school. Now, while Wendy was devastated at always being taunted by her father about her weight, Max was still her father, and she loved him. And so when her dad wasn't there in the morning, she asked her mother where he was, to which Sheila said he had gone for a few days, which wasn't unusual, as he often was gone for meetings or to do with his flying club. However, after a few days of Wendy not having seen or heard from her dad, she again asked her mother where he was. It appeared that Sheila too was becoming concerned by Max's absence and even though his car had been found parked at the airstrip suggesting he had gone off in his plane on the 20th of May, five days after Max was last seen, she telephoned the police to report him missing. She told the police that Max had returned late and had been drunk on the night of the 14th of May, that they had had an argument and Sheila had gone to bed and Max had slept elsewhere and that he was gone in the morning when she got up. 
She did state to the police, however, that he most likely was just with his flying group somewhere and that he had an arranged meeting planned for that same evening and she was sure he would return for that. But he didn't, and so the police began to take Max's disappearance more seriously. They firstly attended the farmhouse to have a look around for anything unusual, to double-check that Max definitely wasn't there, and to speak to Sheila, although Sheila's mother, Edith, was there, who took charge, leaving Sheila to fade into the background. Edith did not appear to be overly concerned about Max's disappearance, offering the opinion that he was likely off with his flying group somewhere, as his car had been parked at the airstrip, which suggested this. However, on closer inspection, it turned out that Max's actual aircraft was still in the hangar. Could Max perhaps have left his aircraft there and flown with another group member? It was definitely a possibility, especially after, according to the podcast The Storyteller, Violent Delights by Isla Traquair, a local farmer who lived near the airstrip came forward to say that he had heard a small aircraft taking off from the airstrip about 6.30am on the morning of Wednesday the 15th of May. Max and his erratic behaviour was well known to the police, and while it appeared that he was just off somewhere of his own free will, a description of Max was placed in the Police Gazette in June 1968, not a very flattering description, to say the least. According to the storyteller of Violent Delight's podcast, it read, Spends freely, is a heavy spirit drinker, and often consumes tranquilizers and Proplus tablets when drinking. Is fond of female company but has strong homosexual tendencies and is often in the company of young men. Is a man of considerable wealth and until three years ago was completely rational. Of late became very impulsive, probably brought about by his addiction to drink. Has threatened suicide on at least one occasion, deals in pornographic material, is an active member of nudist camps and is an enthusiastic flyer. May have gone abroad. Max's younger sister Hilda also reported him missing at the time, but she only gave a physical description of Max to the police. While there were a few sightings of Max reported to police, none ever checked out. Max hadn't been in touch with friends or family, and even more alarmingly, his bank account had not been touched. Max had vanished. As the days became weeks and the weeks became months, more and more people in the community began to believe that something had happened to Max, that he had possibly been murdered. Wendy became more and more upset and worried by her father's disappearance as the time passed and became more and more difficult to console, so much so that Sheila was unable to cope on her own with the children and so asked her mother, Edith, to move into West Cairnbeg to help her. While the community were speculating about what may have happened to Max and Wendy, the couple's eldest daughter, was becoming more and more upset by his absence, Sheila appeared to be at her happiest. She spent more and more time with Brian. They were seen holding hands and laughing together in public, which only further increased speculation about Max's disappearance. However, there was no evidence of foul play and there was no body, so the police were not able to do anything. That is, until Friday the 16th of August 1968, when Wendy recalls the police arriving at the farmhouse. Wendy had been in the kitchen with her siblings and mother making the dinner when there was a knock at the door. Before Wendy knew what was happening, her mother was shouting to her to watch the potatoes as they were nearly ready and that her grandmother would be along shortly to look after them before her mother was led out of the house and into a waiting police car. Wendy was 12 years old. 
first her father had disappeared and now her mother was being taken away by the police. Wendy was distraught, but she would only have to wait a couple of days before being bluntly told by her grandmother Edith and her mother's brother that her father was dead and that he had been murdered by her mother. Wendy's young and traumatised life as the daughter of perfectionist Max Garvey was further being turned upside down. Wendy recalls everything happening so quickly after hearing this news. She and her siblings were whisked away by their grandmother, away from their friends and all that was familiar to them. But this was done to protect them from the media frenzy that was about to descend. So what had happened for the police to suddenly bring Sheila in for questioning after Max had been missing for three months and for her to be arrested for his murder? It transpired that Max had been able to orchestrate one final blow to Sheila. And that's the end of part one. Part two will be available a week after this episode, so you don't have to wait too long. But don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the conclusion to this story. Scottish Murders is a production of Clurin Torn.